Hello. And welcome to Pop Tarts. I'm Emily Rems. I'm Callie Watts. We are both editors at Bust Magazine in New York City. And today we thought we'd take a pop culture approach to Mother's Day. There's so many mom-centric films and TV shows um, that you can watch with your mom on Mother's Day, or you can watch whilst thinking about your mom but not with her. Or you guys can do the thing that we used to do in the 80s where you would watch something with someone else on the phone, like (laughs) when Harry met Sally. However you want to do it. Um, There's so many things to watch that are evocative of mom. And to help us uh, take a... A voyage through all of those offerings is possibly our most epic, formidable guest to date. I am beyond excited. She is a veteran arts and culture journalist of over 30 years. And she's also my mom. Welcome, Janet Rems. I finally meet who birthed you. Uh, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited because I don't know what I'm going to say and what you're going to say. <laughs> We're going to drag you. We're going to drag you. <laughs> I have a, a, a deep, dark secret. Spill the tea, Mom. I'm not putting my mom on blast. Being a Jewish mother, I don't feel guilt. I give guilt. Sing out, Louise! I'm Janet from the block. Before we jump into all of the movies and TV shows, uh, I want to ask you, Mom, how you feel about Mother's Day in general. Out of everyone in this room, you're the only one who's a mom. Like, do you like the holiday? Do you think it's bullshit? Do you think it's like a hallmark nightmare? How do you feel about the holiday? Well, as a Jewish mother, I don't uh, dislike the holiday. Uh-huh. However, it is a test for my children. Uh, and often, Emily's brother will call me up and say, did I call you first? <laughs> so it's sort of become a competition. But Emily usually wins. Emily is Well, very she's good. an early morning bird. I don't, I don't expect gifts, although my children give me token gifts, which I do register in the Book of Life. And uh, they do call me uh-huh. since I live far away. So I think we all, all we mothers like to be recognized. We don't need big gifts. We just need that phone call. Uh-huh. Then I'm doing it right. Whew, good. <laughs> we like to be acknowledged. Fair. It's fair. Uh, before we get your movie recommendations, Mom, I would love it if you could tell our listeners about your pop culture journey. Uh, and how you became an expert on films, especially from the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Family lore places you in the Bronx on the same block as a movie house. As, Almost. Or like so close to one. As like a child of five going to the movies by yourself or like with your friends. Like not with parents. Yeah, I started going to the movies by myself when I was about five. I say that I was born old, and I'm getting younger as I get older. <laughs> I was a very serious child. Uh, I lived on a block in the Bronx, 
And whenever I hear Jennifer Lopez say, I'm Jenny from the block, I say there, I was there about 40 years You're before Janet you. from the block. <laughs> I'm Janet from the block. And <laughs> we would all, no matter how old you were, everybody, there would be a, a crowd of us of about 12, and someone's older brother or sister would take us, and we'd have our quarter, it took a quarter, only. And uh, we would spend the whole afternoon there because they wouldn't kick you out if you wanted to see the movie over again. So I had this movie theater that was an essential part of my youth till I was 10. And I was dragged out of the block to Yonkers. And then I had to get on a bus and go to White Plains. And then we had a big RKO. I would go there with friends. And then when I was a kid, I was also taken to Radio City Music Hall, which to was go to a the palace movies? to go to the movies oh, with my grandmother. Awesome. And that was like an Art Deco palace. I really regret the fact that Radio City Music Hall doesn't show movies anymore. To me, I saw some of the great movies there with my grandmother. But also, I, TV and I were born about the same time. TV is a little older than me. But not much. <laughs> but they didn't have a whole lot of programming. So there was WOR, I think it's still around, yeah. Channel 9. W, I think it was WOR, had this show called Million Dollar Movie. And every day, and it may have been every week, they'd show one movie. And that's oh, wow. how I got acquainted with people like Betty Davis and Katherine Hepburn and Errol Flynn. All of these great 1940s and 30s, even 30s. The 1950s movies I saw in the movie theater, because that's when I was a kid. 1940s and 30s movies, which I love to this day, and I love the fashion in them. I look oh, at them yes. and I say, uh -huh. these high fashion designers, they're stealing from the 40s movies and the 30s movies. Uh, so... That's how I got my love of old movies. It was a misspent youth, let me just say that. <laughs> well, that's how you got your pop culture street cred, and then by osmosis, that's how I got mine. <laughs> Do you remember the movie I forced you to see? Because I love it so much, and I still like it. I forced you to Made see Made in it. Manhattan with Jennifer yeah. no, Lopez. That was a new <laughs> you forced me to watch that so many times. I had to watch I that just... on the, the bus. From DC. I think she's underrated as an actress. She's an old-fashioned romantic actress. I enjoy her movies. I don't have to think about it. Her name's already come up twice in this broadcast. Yeah. Yes. You know that so it's Stan. I like her. But no, the the nineteen forties movie that I made you to watch, and there was also a novel attached oh, to it. Oh, Rebecca. Them. Rebecca. Oh, I love it. It's the best. I've Rebecca. never seen this one, I don't think. Rebecca, you've got to see Rebecca. Alfred it's Hitchcock. based on the Daphne oh. du Maurier novel. Daphne du Maurier's best novel as far as I'm concerned. You didn't force concerned. me to watch it. I love that movie. Yeah, but <laughs> it, it was part of your childhood. For I sure, said yeah. You had to, and, and speaking of mothers, there's a mother figure, an evil mother figure. If you look at Mrs. Danvers, who was sort of, nowadays, when Diana Rigg did it for the British TV, she played it as if she were... Um, had this hankering for Rebecca, that yeah, it was she more it than a mother. She played uh, it yeah. as if she she had a homosexual love for Rebecca, who you never see. Oh. You just imagine. But That's it wasn't really like that in the book or the it movie. It wasn't like that in the book or the first movie. That was just this new version. They're always trying to les it up for modern times. <laughs> yeah. but, but Mrs. Danvers is more this mother figure. 
compulsive, yeah. obsessive mother of Rebecca, who you never see, and who I've spent my life trying to figure out which actress would be great playing Rebecca. I need and to I've watch this movie. Never pinpoint because she's supposed to be so alluring and so charming that you can't resist her, even though she's evil as hell. And Mrs. Danvers, Joan hates- Crawford, perhaps. Uh, no, well, no, she couldn't be Rebecca. No. <laughs> You're like, not next. No. Uh, but Mrs. Danvers, um, Judith Anderson was great playing yeah. Mrs. Danvers, hates the young woman who never is given a name. I don't know if you ever noticed that. Right, yeah. She's never given a name. And so she is the evil mother, the stepmother to the right. Joan Fontaine character. You're jumping the gun now because we, we have to... We wanted just for clarity's sake to divide our mom movie picks into sort of good, su- sweet mothers and then like darker mothers, like not that are both bad mothers or mothers in a scarier context, which is definitely Rebecca. But let's first do the sweetness and light before we can really dig into the <laughs> darkness, which obviously we all like the best anyway. Um, mom, you're you're the guest. So hit us with some good moms, and then Callie and I will give you some of our picks as well. Well, I didn't divide mine up that way, but one of the the ultimate good mom is Irene Dunn in I Remember Mama. She is this Norwegian immigrant who lives in San Francisco, and her daughter ends up writing a book about her, and she is the wise, loving all giving mom who is the heart of that family and the uh-huh. glue of that family. But first and foremost, I remember mama with her very secret bank account and a wide open heart for other people's troubles. Marta, I want to get married. Serena is wonderful. Yeah, I think it is. Who is? Mr. Torkelson from the funeral parlor. Will you help me tell the others? So she's really, really good. Uh, well, let me just you ask want... you really quickly about like wise giving, like all nurturing, all encompassing moms in popular culture. Like, do you think that that is sort of making motherhood a monolith that you resent as like a complicated, multi-dimensional person in real life? No. If the if the script is good and the acting is good then I have no problem with... And in fact, I have a, a, a deep, dark secret. <gasps> Spill the tea, Mom. Uh, I like Hallmark movies. <laughs> <laughs> so when we're talking about good right. and sentimental... You don't get sweeter and, than that. Yeah. Especially in this current political climate. And apparently Hallmark's ratings are going sky high as their ad revenue is because... I know I'm going to get a happy ending, no matter what challenge yeah. or what impedes the hero or heroine, or they're both heroes these days, you know, do <laughs> gender differences. Um, the lead characters, no matter what impedes them, I'm going to get my happy ending. Yeah. And I'm going to get goodness is going to triumph. So, no, I, I don't mind good moms and good moms usually go through all kinds of trials and tribulations it's true which they overcome yeah so you need people like that and one can aspire to be you can never be that mom i don't feel guilty about being that mom as i said as being a jewish mother i don't 
feel guilt, I give guilt. <laughs> <laughs> Truth bombs being dropped. I'm <laughs> so good. <laughs> so I'm, if you want, I can look. I mean, even Betty Davis played good moms. Yeah, give us, give One us. One of my favorite sort of soap opera movies. She tended to be in these really melodramatic movies. Mm-hmm. And there's one movie called The Great Lie, which she played with Mary Astor. Betty Davis lives in Virginia Hunt Country. They always have wonderful houses and wonderful clothes. And she's in love with George Brent, who none of you know. I don't know from George <laughs> don't Brent. Know. I don't know. Handsome guy with a mustache. But not was, Clark Gable. But not Clark Gable. <laughs> uh-huh. But he always played a leader. And he's in a number of these mother movies. Uh-huh. And um, he, asked, he asked her to marry him. And she says no, regrets it. He goes on a one-night binge with Mary Esther, marries her, impregnates her. Then he divorces her and marries Betty Davis. It's a Shonda to get divorced back in the day. Yeah. Well, he divorces Mary Esther because they got married in a drunken stupor. She gets pregnant. He then... Betty Davis realizes, I'm getting to the point here. This Uh is a complex plot. Uh, And then he flies off to the Amazon on some mission for the government and plane crashes, disappears. Ah. She finds out Mary Astor is pregnant, says, I will take the baby because this is her last contact with George Brent. Uh Sandra, be honest with yourself. You only wanted that child when you thought you could get Pete back, didn't you? Now he's dead. I came here to ask you for that child. What? I was married to Pete. I could give him Pete's name. I could give him everything that Pete could have given him had he lived. Betty Davis takes Mary Esther to the desert. They get, baby gets born. They come back to her beautiful swanky home in the countryside. Of course, George Brent comes back. She's raising the baby. He thinks it's his baby with, Betty Davis. And then Mary Esther is going to tell her husband that it's her baby and not Betty Davis. The big lie. That was the big lie. Uh So in that one, Betty Davis is the good mother. Uh In the end, Mary Esther realizes that it's no use. They tell the truth to George Brent, but Betty Davis goes on to become your exemplary mother of this little boy. Uh So she's a good mother. But in real life, Betty Davis's daughter wrote a tell-all about what a bad mom she was. <laughs> yes. Well, so did Joan Crawford's daughter. That seemed yeah. to be part of it. But then Betty Davis, well, I was going to go back and forth, good, bad, good, bad. But if you want me to stick with good mothers, we have Joan Crawford in Mildred Pierce, which she won the Oscar yeah. for. Mm-hmm. She was too good and uh-huh. too sacrificing, <laughs> and she had this terrible daughter. Yeah. Played by Anne Blythe, who usually played Goody Two Shoes roles, but in this one, she played someone terrible. And uh, Joan Crawford was the all consuming. She did anything she could to save her daughter. Know what, Mother? You knew when you gave that uniform to Lottie that it was mine, didn't you? Your uniform? Yes, I'm waiting tables in a downtown restaurant. My mother, a waitress. I took the only job I could get so you and your sister could eat and have a place to sleep and some clothes on your backs. Aren't the pies bad enough? Did you have to degrade us? Peter, don't talk like that. I'm really not surprised. What do you think about moms like that in real life and on screen who are like 
so self-sacrificing who make it sort of like the standard of motherhood that you need to like give up every single part of yourself to be a mom. Do you think that? I don't think that's healthy. Right. No, I don't. I don't well, I didn't do it. So I think that uh, <laughs> I remember uh, I when Emily was three, I started working as a string at a newspaper and I was very absorbed writing. And for the next three decades, I stayed absorbed writing. And uh, I once in a in a fil- fit of uncharacteristic guilt said to her, now, would you rather that I stay at home? And she said, oh, you would be so cranky, don't <laughs> <laughs> So, no, I, I think we all need a mix of both. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think we need to, to, just to be an interesting person, to just to be someone that you'd want your daughter to emulate. I wouldn't want you to be someone who felt they had to sacrifice for whether you had children or not. Right. I want you to be a little self-serving. I think it's healthy. Yeah. I feel like that's something that has sort of done a disservice to women in films about mothers is that like there's some dude writing what he thinks like mm-hmm. ideal motherhood is and like they just keep get so self-sacrificing that it gives like everyone a complex. Yeah. And that it's not real. Or, yeah, like, not healthy. Like or healthy, outside. yeah. I don't know. That's just what I've absorbed as a viewer of mothers on screen. Either they're just, like, total, they're just treated like support staff, usually, mm-hmm. by by male writers. And then, like, somewhat, like, to ramp up the drama, then they become support staff till they're, like, almost dead. <laughs> just to make, make it super dramatic. Well, maybe that's why I like Betty Davis movies. Because right. Because no matter what they've written about her... She's taken center stage. Yeah. She is yeah. going to, your eyes are on her. And it's going to be a and bumpy she, ride. It's <laughs> going to be a bumpy ride, or even if it isn't, you're just so involved with who she is as a person and what's happening to her, good or bad, that it doesn't matter what the writers write. She's the focus. Yeah. And when you, in one of your last newspaper offices, you had a framed photo of Betty Davis on your desk just so people would know who they were dealing with before they even got to your desk. Well, and it was Betty in her 60s. A friend gave me that picture. I put it in a frame. And whenever I had a quandary, something I had to figure out, which happens frequently in newspaper offices, I would look at Betty in the eye and say, well, what would Betty do? (laughs) She would tell whoever it is to fuck all the way off. (laughs) Do you have another good mom? Another good mom. Oh, well, the ultimate good mom is, and really self-sacrificing mom. Mm-hmm. That's what I consider a good mom. Okay. Uh, Stella Dallas. Uh, never heard of Stella Dallas, huh? No. No. Ah. Stella Dallas has been made twice. The best one, according to me and a lot of movie critics, is the Barbara Stanwyck movie. Another great babe another wonderful she's up there with with betty she's a great actress she can play comedy she can play drama she went on to tv and she's just your a-plus actress stella dallas was then recreated years later by bet midler oh uh, and, i love Bette and barbara stanwick got a nomination for an oscar for best leading lady while Bette Midler, who I am also fond of, got a, a Razzie Award. Oh. So different 
time. Stella Dallas plays this working class, vulgar woman. I meant. Uh, <laughs> and she doesn't know how to dress. She doesn't know how to speak. You know, good heart. But and she goes off somewhere and meets this guy who's upper class and rich and they get married. Something happens. The chemistry happens. And but it doesn't work. They're just too far apart. Uh-huh. She has a daughter. She raises the daughter and then discovers that her lifestyle is not, she wants more for her daughter. So she lets, gives up her daughter to this man. And she becomes no longer to this former husband who then she, and the daughter falls in love with this upper class guy. And they don't. She doesn't want anyone to know that she is the mother because it'll Aww. spoil her Aww. chances. And the last scene, it rips you apart. She's standing there. There's her daughter getting married in the living room of this fabulous, you know, Park Avenue house. Uh huh. But you can see in the window, and she's standing there with her rich and the stepmother's there, who's good, and the father is there and all these rich people are standing around as the daughter's getting married Oy. and Barbara Stanwyck and I assume Bette Midler are standing there standing there in the rain and she's biting on a handkerchief and she's looking in and all the people are looking in and the rain's coming down and the tears are coming down and she's watching this daughter that she's given up the only thing she's ever truly loved get married and be out of her life and but she's, she's not even invited She's not invited, and she's thrilled, and she wouldn't. She's just thrilled for her, but she's torn apart. Because, yeah. And then the, a policeman comes by and says, "Move along, move Aww. along, move along, move along, please." I got the group here. And she goes, and you. The last scene is her walking toward toward you, and just her face, and that's. Devastation. That's Stella Dallas. That's that sounds good. That's that's a good one. That's a really famous movie of a good mom. Now, Callie, your mom isn't here, but you asked your mom for yes. some Rex. She sent mostly TV. Okay, well, all TV and only good moms. Okay, I think she didn't want to give moms a bad name. Um, <laughs> I have some bad ones. Yeah. Tell, <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of bad ones. Tell our listeners a little bit about your mom, so we know where these wrecks are coming from. My mom also likes to watch old old movies, old TV. She loves the black and whites all the way. Um, when she's not watching the Weather Channel, we call her Weather Mom, um, and she she just loves classic movies. My dad and her watch Turner Classic like constantly all day. Okay, uh, so she sent uh, June Lockhart. As the mom um, in Lost in Space, who also played the mom in Lassie. She's sent both of those. Your, your mom is younger than me. Uh, she's timeless. Timeless? <laughs> but I guarantee you. I'm not putting my mom on blast. Younger timeless. <laughs> Probably a little younger, yeah. Yeah. But I don't want to. She's been 35 since I've known her. We'll put it that way. <laughs> she's always been 35. Um, then Gloria Henry is Alice and Dennis the Menace, the TV show. And Mary Tyler Moore and Dick Van Dyke show. And I never think of her as a mom. Really? I She's guess because I always think of her in the Mary Tyler Moore show. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's how she sort of froze it in my mind. Well, she was she was a mom. She's mommed it up. And then Floris Henderson and the Brady Bunch. Well, yeah. So yeah. some classic hits there. That's classic. And how about you? What What are your good moms? My good moms are wild. I got Troop Beverly Hills. Do you remember oh, that movie? Oh, yeah, Troop Beverly Hills. Like, Shelley Long was such a good mom. Yes. So Troop Beverly Hills, like, she's like this rich socialite who's about to get a divorce. She wants to prove that she can stick through something. So she becomes... Her daughter, who was played by baby young Jenny Lewis, um, to take over her wilderness troop, which is like the, their version of Girl Scouts. But since she's so Beverly Hills, she does it the Beverly Hills way. So when they go camping, they go to the Beverly Hills Hotel. Glamping. Glamping. And she's like, what do you mean? This is roughing it. There's seven people here. One bathroom, you know? And she makes up all these merit badges that, that work for her. You know, about the cookies... I know it's customary in order to raise funds to sell cookies door to door, and that's adorable. But wouldn't it save time and a little shoe leather if we just had a star-studded telethon? Huh? Who are you? Johnny could host or Merv. Be fabulous. Who are you? Uh, Phyllis Neffler, Troop Beverly Hills. And I remember there was like a real like 80s synthesizer-y song about how it's cookie time. Cookie time, yeah, but the one that I really like is We're the Girls from Beverly Hills. One, two, three, four. You remember that one? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Shopping is our greatest skill. Five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> um, so anyway, they end up having to go um, actually go hiking through the woods for this competition. It's hilarious. She's amazing. The outfits are epic. Then I have Overboard. Uh-huh. That's Goldie Hawn, right? Goldie Hawn. And that one, she does... She's tricked into being a mom, and she's trying her damn hardest. And this is the original. I am not even going to fuck around with that remake. There is a remake? Yeah, with Anne Harris, and they flipped the the roles. So the guy becomes tricked into being the dad. Yeah, who's starring in that again? Anne Anne Ferris, and I forget the guy. Right. They shouldn't remake that movie. They shouldn't. They shouldn't. Because... Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn did everything they were supposed to do. So, And the outfits in that one are also amazing. The bathing suits are epic in that. Mm-hmm. And so she's she's trying her best. And she, she they tell her she, she's tricked to think she has, a, she has amnesia. And they trick her into thinking these are her kids. So she literally has no clue what the fuck she's doing. But she's trying. Are you going to leave? No. I'm your mommy. Sometimes moms leave. Well, I guess maybe they do, but I'm not going to go anywhere. Good. So I appreciate that one. I don't know if this is a good mom or a bad mom or just a mom. The mom from Grey Gardens. Grey Gardens. She's Mother darling. Mom. Yeah, she doesn't really fit on either side of the line. She's an enmeshed mom. Right. I mean, she's sort of lets, you know, like she's encouraging her, mom, her all her daughter's thoughts, but she's also always there for her. You feel the love. If you haven't seen Grey Gardens, it's about Jacqueline Onassis's aunt and cousin, mm-hmm. I believe. Or maybe they're both cousins, but like in that way. Like they're they're cousin they're in her cousin orbit. Yeah. And it's a mother and daughter, Big Edie and Little Edie, and they have a, a giant decrepit mansion in the Hamptons called Grey Gardens that's falling apart. It's infested with raccoons. <laughs> the raccoons, and yeah. And cats and whatnot. And they're just there rotting away inside this old house, living in their own weird fantasy world. And it's a documentary. It is not fiction. And the prequel to it, That Summer, 
is coming out yeah, this I'm summer. Yeah, I'm excited to see it. Well, they also is, remade that, though, into with Drew Barrymore. Drew remember? Barrymore and Which wasn't Jessica nearly, Lange yeah, not nearly as good as the doc, but it was still good. I liked seeing I them play good. them. Yeah. Yeah, that was cool. But that summer, if you want more Big and Little Edie, this footage that hasn't been released until now is coming out this summer. And it's called That Summer. So you can see more of them. And like all the Studio 54 people are like traipsing through there to just like get an eyeful of Jackie's cousins. And so like Andy Warhol in it and like Mick and Bianca Jagger and, and all these people are oh like, oh my God, uh, I can't wait. Yeah. Um, this is another, there's a couple on here that you're like, I don't know if these are good or bad. Well, Renona Ryder and Stranger Things. Oh, yeah. She like was able to like. She's battling the inside out, upside down. She battled demons for her baby. <laughs> yeah, that's something. But also deciphered weird Morse code for her baby, which is like more <laughs> impressive than just like battling a demon. Right. Like figuring out like electrical <laughs> shortages as language is like going above and beyond. As yeah, as she really put the work in. Yeah. Um, Drew Barrymore and the Santa Clarita Diet. That I have not watched because I don't like cannibalism. Right. Well, she is, <laughs> she's she's eating people, but she's also trying to, to raise her daughter well. Okay. You know, she's not letting the fact that she needs to eat people ruin their lives. But she also does have her daughter around when people are getting killed, which probably isn't the best thing in the long run for the kid. Honey, you're home. We're a family again. Hi, Dad. Don't worry, I've got everything under control. Really? Because through fresh eyes, it does not look great. This man was threatening Abby. Our kitchen looks like the inside of a shark. Um... Claire Huxtable, classic amazing mom, oh, even though so even much though pain, supported. even though I was about to say the character of Claire Huxtable is a great mom. I strongly believe that uh, what's the actress's name? Felicia Rashad. Felicia Rashad had to know that Cosby is. A but even if she didn't, when like 60 accusations came forth and she still defended him, I, know. I was like, Felicia, you're breaking. I just saw that they're all not the parts of my heart. I saw that they pulled reruns of the Cosby show, so they're not going to be playing it anymore. It's just, it makes us feel too many Too bad they can't just take him out and then put it. Yeah. <laughs> you imagine? <laughs> just like a different guy with the same scenes. Just um, like Dave Chappelle is like doing that little Cosby dance. <laughs> but then her clothes also are amazing in that. Um, Marge Simpson. Oh, good one. Yeah, it's, so it's tolerant. Great. She was so tolerant. Raised great an mom. amazing feminist child. Yes. Dealing with a blundering husband, which is a classic trope, you know. Um, Morticia Adams. Oh, so good. Yeah. Letting the letting the freak flag fly and just encouraging you to You know what I really yourself. loved about Morticia Adams is also the fact that, like, she kept the, the like, sex sexual attraction going with Gomez even when there were kids around they were yeah. like all zhuzhed up on each other all the they time they were freaky deaky constantly like she was like speaking French to him so he would kiss up her arm all the time delicious isn't it it's my husband's pièce de résistance crème de la toadstool <laughs> you spoke French later later Mrs. Dragwater and I have a lot to discuss I love them. Yeah. That's relationship goals. Um, so Sophia Petrillo from the Golden Girls. Good call. Good mom, but also sarcastic. You uh-huh. know, you can still be a very she loving. She read mom. Dorothy to filth. To filth. But you know, sometimes Dorothy, she needed to be read to filth. She would get a little, you know, like 
I, I got this. You don't need to tell me anything. And her mom would be like, let's check yourself. And she always did it hilariously. And, um, and then Roseanne. Uh, controversial pick. Controversial yeah. pick. But she really kept that family together. She gave sass and a matriotic attitude, but also was supportive of things that were happening. Also, not real life, Roseanne. I'm talking characters, not people in real life. I would I'm like to clear that. Sitting up. here thinking that I don't think that matriotic is a word, but I also think just hearing you say it that I want to make matriotic a word because <laughs> I feel like it could really go matriarchal, a matriarchy. <laughs> I don't know, but anyway, ma- <laughs> well, yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying, but I do like the word matriotic. I'm gonna have to think on that. <laughs> okay. So, do you have a list of good moms? I do. I because do. This will be a very interesting for your mother to hear. <laughs> well, my very favorite movie of all time ever made, ever in the history of time, also is. Is to me the perfect mother-daughter movie, which is Hairspray, the John Waters yes, original, yes. 1988, yes. as around child and around teen and around adult. Like that movie was literally everything to me. I can just like divide my life into before I saw Hairspray and after I saw Hairspray. <laughs> who took you to see that on Broadway? Who could have possibly <laughs> taken me to see that on Broadway? It was my mom. That was it was clutch. But I do want to say that the movie is far superior, even though I did love seeing the musical. And the relationship between Divine and Ricky Lake in that movie as mother and daughter is the best, especially when they go to the hefty hideaway because she gets an endorsement for dancing on the Courtney Collins show. And the hefty hideaway is like this fantasy, like plus size boutique from the 60s that was just like endless 60s crazy plus Which we're size just clothes. now getting close to being a reality film. oh my god like ju- yeah like back back when that movie came out like my clothing options were liz claiborne corporate separates just the fact of like in the 80s being around and trying to put clothes on your body could be like a soap opera but in this magical fantasy baltimore like there was this amazing palace where divine and ricky lake went and got an entire wardrobe of literally the most amazing clothes ever and they got matching outfits and cha-cha heels and they went like sachet chante down the street and everyone was like girl and it was the best um i would like to throw out a controversial pick it's not out yet but by the time you hear my voice this film will be out and i'm telling you it's going to be a classic of the mother's day canon it's called tully and it is the new film by Diablo Cody. It stars Charlize Theron, and she plays a new mother to an infant. This is her third child, and she's like portraying maternal exhaustion like I've never, ever seen it portrayed on film before. Like literally exhaustion to the point of almost death, trying to take care of two children and an infant. Like she has a husband, but like where's he? Who knows? So like... <laughs> The premise of the movie is that she's like so exhausted she may die. And then she gets a night nurse to help her out. And then she forms this amazing relationship with the night nurse. And when I first saw this movie, I was like, oh, it's about like some really tired lady and <laughs> and her babysitter. OK. And then like for most of the movie, I thought that's what it was, which I thought was weird for Diablo Cody. And then this movie takes a turn that I was not expecting and was so amazing. And it made it go from like, what an interesting slice of maternal life to, 
Oh my god, I want to like run back in and watch this movie again from the beginning right now, right now. Oh my god, it's the best. Reading the description when I got the pitch, I was like, this is not a movie for me. Then after you told me what really goes down in this movie, I was like, that is a movie for me. Yeah. So if you hadn't I'm not told me, I would not have anything else it. about it except to say that really seriously that this movie um, is out May 4th. So it should be out by the time this podcast comes out. Go see it. You will not regret it. You will be talking to everyone you know about it. Tully is a perfect Mother's Day movie. Um, the Sound of Music, I think, is a great Mother's Day music. Mm-hmm. And especially because there's so many hardworking stepmoms out there mm-hmm. who actually like raise kids that didn't come out of their vagina holes as their own. Yep. And I think that they should get props and that like what better ambassador for that contingent than Julie Andrews, who I think is a perfect human being. Like, have, has, Your has, father has, thinks she's a perfect human Julie being. Julie Andrews ever done anything <laughs> wrong in her entire life? Like, has she ever gotten, well, like, bad press in her life? she did that movie 10. Or was it the other movie where she showed her breasts and everyone was outraged that Julie Andrews showed I don't her breasts? That makes me like her more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's literally never done anything wrong in her whole life. And she's she's the greatest stepmother of all time because not only does she teach the kids to sing, um, she also saves them from Nazis. And what, what could be better Maybe. than that? Nothing. She's one of my favorite good moms. And I will tell you this. I don't love Disney. There's people who are yeah, obsessed with Disney. Disney. I don't love Disney. I think it's lame. I think Walt Disney is a Nazi. But that being said, that scene in Dumbo... <laughs> I was I almost made it on my list. That almost made it. Where the kids are being so rude and are pulling her baby's ears and making fun of the baby. And she goes buck wild on them. So and the thing is, like, obviously she could kill those kids. Like she could literally rip them apart, but she does not. Like she spanks them like a mom and dumps them in water and is like <laughs> get away from my kid like she's not gonna let she's not gonna tolerate any foolishness she's not gonna let anybody touch her baby but she also like i think shows remarkable restraint and not murderizing any of these people that are tugging (laughs) on her kid and then they put her in like that that shack that says like mad elephant stay away and they shackle her and they separate her from dumbo like i can barely even talk about it without crying it's so devastating she's the best mom now, did you cry at Bambi? Of course. What kind of heartless mom, person they doesn't... kill her off at the very beginning? The so thing sad. about Bambi's mom is that they they don't give her as much as they give Mrs. Jumbo. She's like, run, Bambi. And then she's dead. Right. She didn't really Whereas, like, Mrs. But it's Jumbo still is, like, going in. You know what I mean? Like, there's a whole thing where she's, like, putting her body between her baby and these, like, obnoxious boys. I was not aware her last name was Jumbo. She's Mrs. Jumbo. His name is Dumbo Jumbo? <laughs> now it can be told. I had no it idea. It is. So those are, that, that's just like my brief little like good moms rundown. And like some of the moms in my bad moms rundown aren't really bad, but they're in some terrifying circumstances. Mm. So I will say that. Back to you, mom. What are the darker side of cinema moms? All right. Well, you two were talking about Mary Tyler Moore. Yeah. Uh, Mary Tyler Moore was sick and tired of being Mary Tyler Moore. Mm -hmm. And she did a movie called The Ordinary People, 
where she probably was the most chilliest mom you ever saw. There were some good cable knit sweaters in that movie. I haven't seen it. Yeah, like, I mom. probably like the clothing in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> but here, her oldest son, the epitome of everything she wanted in a son dies for whatever reason. I don't remember why. And her needy son, she just cannot bond with him. It's really important to try to hurt me, isn't it? Don't you have that backwards? Oh, and how do I hurt you? By embarrassing you in front of a friend? He is totally neglected. The father doesn't know what to do. She gives a chilling performance that you would not expect from Mary Tyler Moore. Oh, this sounds good. And received great plaudits for it because no one expected. It's always good when they take a swerve. She's so naturally warm. It was like really horrifying to see her be so, so cold. So, so cold. And bad moms? Yeah. Mm -hmm. How about Psycho? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Although you don't really see her being the bad mom. mom. Yeah, in his brain. You see the aftermath. He's captured her, her, he is his mother. Right. Yeah, she is there speaking to she him. She must have done something fucked up for that shit to happen. When he's, when he's murdering people, he is his mother. Fair. He is not poor Norman Bates. Norman Bates is. The you sweet threw me for kid. a loop with that one. I wasn't expecting you to say that. What? The, no, it's the, a good one. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's a good one. Besides Psycho, how about um, if we want to get back to Betty? I'm I'm into the TCM moms, Turner Classic Movie <laughs> yeah. moms. She I feel like our plays, moms would watch TV together. Uh, one of her most famous roles is Little Foxes. Mm-hmm. It was written by Tennessee Williams, and the screenplay was written by Gorbadal, and she's got to be one of the bitches of the century. Uh-huh. She is responsible for her poor sick husband's death. She is consumed with money, although as a feminist you might find some good parts about her. She is a woman in a man's world. She is uh, dominated by her crooked brothers. She wants to have money so that she can have her own freedom. So even though she's Mm. this real bitch, you can understand her motivation. Yeah. But she will go to any lengths, including her husband, who she allows, as he's screaming for his heart medicine, she looks at him and just lets him die. That was when I began to despise you. Why didn't you leave me? Where was I to go? What money did I have? I didn't think about it much. If I had, I'd have known you died before I did. But I couldn't have guessed you'd get heart trouble so early, so bad. I'm lucky, Horace. I've always been lucky. Cold. And you see, and she's <laughs> she's almost in this Queen Elizabeth sort of face with white, very as Betty Davis always did. Yeah. And uh, so she is really wicked. Uh huh. Wicked and and money obsessed and uh, all of that. I'm looking. There was another one, and of course. There's Joan Crawford as played by Faye Dunaway in Mommy, Mommy Dearest. Mommy Dearest. No, classic, wire no wire hangers, hangers ever. Which is still my favorite uh, pro-choice sign we've ever made. Yeah, Lust <laughs> marched for uh, women's health in D.C. with signs with, uh, but with the real Joan Crawford that said no wire hangers ever. Yes. And she she is the epitome of the crazy mom. Yeah, that, the what, crazy that movie obsessive is. Crazy obsessive mom. 
And then there was this actress who had the worst face in the world. (laughs) Who are you talking about that has the worst face in the world? Her name is Anne Ramsey. Oh, throw mama from the train. That's on my list. Throw mama from the train. That's totally on my list. And the Goonies. She was the crazy people. Both of them. They're they're funny movies. They're great movies. And she she kills that movie. But she was physically made to play those parts. And she's so good. Her name was, and she's passed away. But she is so good in those movies you just know you see her face and you know troubles ahead yeah i've seen those both of those movies way too many times yeah she's great <laughs> i t- thought that's where you were gonna go when you... <laughs> callie hit me with your bad mom all right well i did have uh throw mama on the train uh, from the train and goonies but i also have lucille bluth oh, from arrested development she's a great bad mom she's the one-liners like <laughs> I just get, wanted to give a sample. Like, if you haven't seen the show, she drinks a lot, and she's just totally cold to the kids all the time. And once she's like, oh, Michael, honey, I want to cry so bad, but I don't think I can spare the moisture. Just lines <laughs> like that all the time. She's just totally like, you're my kids, but I don't really want to do anything with you. Right. Um, Indora from Bewitched. Yeah, yeah, she's a pain in the ass. Because she just was not willing to accept that her daughter was happy with somebody else. Right. She did not approve and she was not going to let it go. However, to Endora's defense, if I had a fully powerful witch daughter who married some douche who was like, don't use any of your powers, make me dinner, I wouldn't be like appreciating their union either. Yeah, I, I would, would be a little bit up. pissed, but you still have to appre- you still have to let her love who she wants to love. I guess, but still, <laughs> so infuriating. That guy sucks. You don't believe that. <laughs> um, Mac... And Charlie's Moms from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, I hate that show, but I know that you love it. I love that show. And um, Charlie's Mom is like this super, super sweet lady, but she also convinced Charlie that on Christmas, all these Santas come to the house to visit his mom, but she's really just sleeping with all these Santa guys. (laughs) He's too (laughs) oblivious to know. And Mac's mom is like this hard-faced, like almost like an Anne Ramsey type of character. And um, she convinces Mac that on Christmas, what everybody does is go to their neighbor's house and steal their gifts and that it's a continuing thing. And that's why they they never buy gifts because somebody's already came and stole their gifts. I see. They're just two really real pieces of work, those moms. Um, Nancy Botwin from Weeds. Mm-hmm. Even though she tried to be a good mom, she didn't have to get involved with the mafia. Right. You that know, was on her. So unnecessary. <laughs> And then bringing your kids all along for that. I know. Ride. She put her children in harm's way a lot. <laughs> a lot. Um, Colleen um, Danagy from 30 Rock, Jack's mom. Right. She's also another one very much like the Bluth mom that's just always like judging, never never telling him he's doing good, always trying to make him feel like shit. Um, and then I have two moms here that I don't know if they're necessarily good or bad moms. Um, Dea and Maria from Orange is the New Black. Oh, Yeah. Because you can't really tell, but I think that the, because since they never get to really be with their kids because they're in jail. But they do love their kids that they're not with. Right. But, um, so you can't tell where you're going, but I think the portrayal of moms, of just what it's like to be an incarcerated mom is something that gets overlooked a lot. So I think they're important moms. I don't know where they fall on the spectrum. And then Elizabeth Moss's character from The Handmaid's Tale. Good call. Um, 
That one, it's like, if you saw the new, the first episode of the new season. I have. When she goes to her daughter's a fever and she sends her daughter to work or to school still so that she could go to work. And that's why her daughter ends up getting taken away. And that whole thing spins out of control. It's just because she was trying to, she was being a little bit selfish when she knew that they were trying to, to watch kids all the time and snag, and snag children. But she also spends all the, all the time trying to chase her kid back down. Right. It's a tough one. Yeah. I don't know where she falls on the spectrum either. I will say just a few bad moms. Um, okay, Mia Farrow and Rosemary's Baby was not a bad mom, but she was in some tough circumstances. Yeah. She was a mom in a <laughs> yeah. very bad situation. She was being gaslit by Satanists for like hours. Well, I mean, for more than hours, but like for the viewer for hours. And then like, I, I really hand it to her. She's like confronted at like her moment of like pain and exhaustion at giving giving uh, birth. She's like, oh, he has his father's eyes. Who's his father? Satan. She <laughs> manages to process that and also come to terms with being the mother of Satan's child remarkably quickly. She really turns on a dime. And I appreciate her moxie. I want to say that... Um, Gypsy, the 1962 film with Rosalind, you know, it's supposed to be about Gypsy Rose Lee, whatever. It's about her mom, Mama Rose. That's like the whole reason to watch it is to watch Rosalind Russell stand at the back of the auditorium while her child is auditioning and go, sing out, Louise. (laughs) Like, that's the reason to watch that movie. If you have a pushy stage mom in your life, get together with her and watch it. What was the ice skating movie? That was a bad mom. Oh, yeah. Like I, Tanya, but without the skates. Yeah. (laughs) And then I would say, if you want to be literally the worst child in the world on Mother's Day, this is this only really works if you have siblings. But if you want to be the worst child on Mother's Day, sit down with your mom on Mother's Day, Uh-oh. watch Meryl Streep in Sophie's Choice, and then Uh-oh. ask your mom if she was in a concentration camp and could only save one child. Oh, my God. Which would yes. it be? Oh, my God. You would win the award for worst child in the world. I'm not going to ask you because I already know the answer. I'll never tell. I'll never tell. (laughs) But finally, while I have you here, I want to ask you two questions, and then we'll go to a lightning round of what you're watching. First, I want to know, you grew up watching all these very traditional depictions of womanhood in movie after movie after movie. How and when did you become a feminist out of all of that pop cultural indoctrination? Because I never believed it. <laughs> but you were I mean, five. I was five. I And when I was a kid, I'd watch uh, uh, Donna Reed and Leave it to Beaver's mother doing the dishes and in a shirtwaist dress, which I never look good in shirtwaist dresses anyway. No, and you Pearl did. I saw you wear one. Nah, in the 70s. They're not my thing. Um, <laughs> but pearls and uh, high heels and so my, my own real mother never dressed like that to clean the house. House coats. House coat. And we yeah. don't wear house coats anymore. Yeah. Now we wear sweats. Exactly. But uh, she'd wear a house coat and slippers. But and where did wooden... your feminism come about? I think I was just naturally gifted. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I was always a very... Let's say, thinking out loud kind of person, uh-huh, and always very observant. That's why I became a, a good journalist because I notice everything around me, uh-huh. much to your father's chagrin. Uh-huh. But, uh, 
I, I knew what the world was ha- what was happening in the world. Why did Gloria Steinem become uh, a feminist? She's older than I am. No, yeah, I'm just wondering for you. What we saw what was happening and we evaluated it. Mm-hmm. We were not going to accept that. Right. And there were spunky women out there that we saw doing their own thing, uh-huh. getting back to Betty Davis. What would Betty say? Yeah. Uh, there were there were role models in movies. They weren't all submissive types. Right. So uh, the TV early on was not were not good role models, but we had a real world around us that gave us examples of women who just didn't say, "I'm not going to do that." My second was question, I a role model for you? Well, yeah, I was. That just dovetails perfectly right. into my second question, which is. <laughs> Like, I feel like I was in some ways born to become like a pop culture critic in some way, just because of the household in which I was raised. If we weren't watching something, we were talking about something that you watched. We were either critiquing pop culture or consuming pop culture whenever we were around each other. Like, was that your intention? When did you realize the the monster that you had created? (laughs) Well, I don't regard you as a monster. (laughs) I regard you as a work of art, still in progress. And and, and one that I'm very proud of. Thanks, Mom. Mom saying mom thing. (laughs) We are going to take a very short break, and then we're going to come back with a lightning round of What What You Watching. I'm Terrence Mickey, the creator and host of Memory Motel, a podcast that finds the drama and what we desperately want to remember or would rather forget. In season one, I explored such light topics as the different ways we remember the dead. Good afternoon. Thank you for calling the New York Times Classifieds. Christine speaking. I may help you. Hi, my name is Terrence Mickey, and I'm calling to inquire about an obituary. What information were you looking for that I could possibly help you with? Okay, I'm a big procrastinator, but I'm going to die at some point, so I just want to be prepared. And to get to the bottom of Stockholm Syndrome, I returned to the bank robbery where the first person was diagnosed with it. I always felt that I did something wrong. After almost 50 years, I felt, well, I didn't do anything wrong. I did what I had to do. And I'm kind of feeling proud of myself. And I followed a message in a bottle. He starts talking to me about a bottle with a message in it and he says, Turks and Caicos. I'm like, and I'm, you know, I'm real expressive. You can't see me, but like I make a lot of faces. And I look at my cousin and I real quizzically and I go, I don't know what this guy's talking about. So I says, hold on a second. I put the phone down. I'm like, what? What? And I go back on the phone. I go, okay, excuse me. What's a Turks and Caicos? I had no idea. To see where your memories take me next, please subscribe to Memory Motel wherever you listen to your podcasts. And to share your memories, please reach out to me directly on Twitter at Terrence underscore Mickey or at Memory Motel. For updates on season two, visit our website, memorymotel.audio.
And we're back. Mom, I want to ask you what it is that you are watching. And when I say watching, I mean movies, TV, books, radio, podcasts, anything that you are consuming culturally these days. All right. Well, I am obsessed with politics these days, so I do not watch sitcoms anymore, even though I hear there are very good ones and I hear from you. You're enlightening me today. I'm an MSNBC person. Uh, I'm always telling Emily who she should be listening to (laughs) (laughs) and maybe who she should put in a magazine, but she never listens. Uh, I try. It's not easy. Rachel Maddow. I have tried. Joy Reid. I have tried. Uh, Nicole Wallace, who's not yet. a good Republican, <laughs> but who's tearing up the, the Trump administration. I'm not I, asking for Republicans. <laughs> I can, but Rachel Maddow, I love Rachel Maddow. I tease your father that uh, she scares him, uh, <laughs> but he watches her anyway. I, I just love these insanely intelligent, articulate women who know what they're talking about and take no shit from anyone. I was told I could curse. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and they just know what they're talking about. And so that's what I am listening to. I... I I watch uh, Blacklist, which is because I think James Spader is wonderfully weird. <laughs> and it's a very complex show. Yeah. It's it's getting a little too violent for me. I like the strange quirks and turns, and it's totally impossible, although some sometimes you sit back and say, could that be happening now? Yeah. But it's just, I, I think the mind of the writers, the complexity of it appeals to me. That's the only... Um, Radio, I listen to NPR, but mostly I like Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Uh-huh. Uh, I plan my schedule around listening to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Hey, Mom, do you listen to funny. any podcasts? I listen to a podcast that's called Pop-Tarts. <laughs> <laughs> she got it. I love it. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> Callie, what you watching? Um. I'm going to have to get back to some of these later because there's too much. But the most important thing that I have seen recently was the Grace Jones Times Talk. Yes. So Grace Jones, she came out performing. She was performing um, Slave to the Rhythm. And she's walking up this massive staircase. She gets to the top and she's wearing these pencil thin stilettos jumps off, collapses on the floor because her heel broke and is just laying on her back. Everybody was like, Frozen, you know, there was a scream and everybody stops. And then after a while, she rolls over. She does like a tiger, tigress motion and then starts singing and then gets up and hobbles off the stage, sings up the the stairs and then disappears, does a costume change. We were all terrified she broke her leg or something. And then she comes out and does this amazing talk, which you can watch on their YouTube site. And there were a couple parts that were specifically amazing. Like at one point, the interviewer, um, Melanie Rezvik, Rezvik, who did an insane job dealing with Grace Jones. Grace Jones kept flapping a titty at her, pinching her. She kept pulling her back in. But she was asking Grace like how she gets people to do what she wants, you know, like go along with what she wants if it's part of the masculine side that Grace talks about. And Grace goes, no, that's not my masculine side. You really want to know what that is? And she was like, yeah. She goes, it's my enlarged clitoris. Whoa! <laughs> and then she said, you'll know my masculine side when I penetrate you. Dang! Oh, oh, and then she said the first time she saw her grandchild, 
the grandchild opened her eyes and they were bright, uh, bright violet. And she just said, Rosemary's baby. (laughs) (laughs) And then she accepted the devil's child. She was amazing. So I'm going to talk about the rest of the things I've done later because we got a short one. But that was the most important thing. Awesome. I just want to quickly say that uh, you told me, Callie, there's a show. You have to watch it. It's called Dragula. It's amazing. Like RuPaul's Drag Race, but horror themed the entire thing. And their tagline is drag, horror, filth, glamour, glamour, Dragula. And it's really like the show I was born to watch. I loved every single minute of it. The entire time I was watching it, I was like... Who knew I needed this? Who made this for me? Like, it is both dramatically gorgeous and disgusting and amazing. And um, we'll talk about it at You can watch the whole thing time. on YouTube. But I it's only, all on YouTube. But we're going to talk about this more in depth so you, re- you uh, listeners can catch up so you can. Yeah, I just wanted to thank you publicly and on microphone <laughs> because that show blew my mind. It's called Dragula. Find it. Snatching wigs. Snatching so many wigs on YouTube right now. On the subject of thank yous, thank you so much to our producer, Rachel Withers. And of course, our pal at the listening booth, Terrence Mickey. Thank you so much. Of course, thank you to our girl gang at Bust Magazine. If you want to find us, you can find me on Twitter at Emily Rems. Uh, Callie doesn't do Twitter, but you can email us both. I'm at Emily Rems at Bust.com. I'm Callie W at bus.com. And you can learn more about the show at bus.com slash Pop-Tarts. The biggest thank yous of all go to my mom, Janet Rems. Thank you so much for giving birth to me. It was an honor to meet you. <laughs> it was an honor to be here. Also, and thank I've you for my mom. I've learned a lot. All kinds of pop culture that I know nothing about. <laughs> <laughs> and I expect. We'll probably not learn about it in the future. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this was a joy. I'd like to shout out my mom. Love you, mom. And I love you too, mom. I love you so much. Thank you for coming on my show. Love you, Tootsie. Finally, 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 please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. It really helps us get the word out. And we super duper appreciate it. Until next time. Mwah! Mwah!